This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Dustin Parker. Ulisa Luciano Ruiz. Yampi Mendez Arrocho. Monica Diamond. Lexi. Johanna Metzger. Serena Angelique Velasquez Ramos. Laila Pelais Sanchez. Penelope Diaz Ramirez. Nina Pop. Heli J. O'Regan. Tony McDade. Dominique Remy Fells. Rhea Milton. Jane Thompson. Selena Reyes Hernandez. Ryan Egypt Powers. Brayla Stone. Mercy Matt. Shaki Peters. Bree Black. Summer Taylor. Marilyn Cazares. Dior H. Oba. Quisha D. Aja Raquel Roan Spears. Key Sam. Marian Burnett. Mia Green. Michelle Michelin Ramos Felicia Harris. Brooklyn Deshuna. Sarah Blackwood. Angel Haynes. You just heard the names of every known transgender and gender non-conforming individual violently killed in the United States so far this year. This community suffers one of the highest rates of violent deaths in the nation, with 2020 on track to be the worst year on record. I'm Talitha Demessa. I'm Jen Hardy. And, and we're, we're with, with Look, Look West. West. Facing violence and other manifestations of anger from outside their community, it can be hard to imagine where transgender and gender expansive individuals find their fortitude and resilience. Talitha interviewed Ebony Ava Harper, a human rights activist who is transgender, to learn about everything from discrimination to resources to the personal advice she would give to others. My name is Ebony Ava Harper. The word activist is used a lot these days. You even have a celebritist. Um, I will say activist because I've been activating since um, I came out the womb. And um, I think trans people are born activists. So um, I will use that label. I'm an activist. I am a nurturer. I'm a little bit of crazy. I'm a little bit of cool. <laughs> you know, and um, I uh, work every day to advocate for uh, trans people throughout the state of California and beyond. And um, Recently, I was able to co-sponsor a bill um, with the organization I lead, California Transcend, AB 2218, and it's to get, you know, better health care to trans people throughout the state. And so um, my current function, I was, I was in philanthropy for a while, um, and, and I had a heart to do, like, more um, straight on advocacy. And so um, I am a public health advocate, transgender public health advocate, and I'm a system changer. I am a wealth redistributor, and I'm for the, the people on the bottom. What are your pronouns? Why is it personally important to you and for others to use pronouns? My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, pronouns are important because that's that's how the person want to be referenced, and it is kind of disrespectful to reference someone in ways that they don't want to be referenced. There's many pronouns. It's not just the traditional senses we think of he and she and things like that. There's zer and there's other pronouns, and um, it's all about respect and just giving people the respect that they want. 
even whether you agree with it or not, even whether you don't know enough about it, you just respect that person's existence and that, that person's um, how they want to be referred to. If you misgender someone and when they want to be called a she and they're called a he, that can lead the person to having depression and, and a downward spiral. You know, if they want to be referenced as they or them, um, and you're you're he and or sheing them, that could lead that person into um, downward spiral and depression, and it could be extremely hurtful. Um, how would you define being transgender to someone who doesn't fully understand the term? That's a hard question, because um, in ways, in some ways, we are undefinable. You know. And trans is a relatively new term to define our existence. Uh, we have gone by two-spirit. We've gone by Fafafini in the, in the Polynesian islands. Um, we've gone by many names, uh, eunuchs, you know. Uh, so trans is someone that usually identifies, it's a broad umbrella, and it covers um, gender diverse people, I would say. And so it's a huge umbrella that covers a multitude of gender identities. You identify in a different gender as, a, as an assigned as birth. I'm sorry, not born as, as assigned at birth. Um, so another one is, what are your experiences with receiving medical care or like filling out and editing government paperwork and the struggle with identification and also how does like a lack of wealth, classism, and social status have that impact? The very good question. Um, we live in California, and California has been leading the way in other states as far as like making sure that trans people, especially in the healthcare field, is addressed how they want to be addressed. But you know, it's. It's still a ton of work to be done throughout the state. There's still a lot of people that really don't have a good grasp on what trans is and even just the simple thing of just referring to them how they want to be referred in on paperwork. Even healthcare providers, believe it or not, you know, some of them are the most ignorant. I've been asked some ignorant questions within like um, even a, a therapist session. <laughs> so, um, there's a ton of, of um, reforming going on within the healthcare system to address trans people, um, how, they, how they identify as. And um, Sutter actually is one of the ones leading the charge. I have a good friend working at Sutter. And they are actually responsible for um, managing their new system, you know, because now, you know, men have urethras and um, women have, you know, penises. I don't know if I can say that on this podcast, but um, so, so now they're, they're redoing their whole thing and they're also doing their, their, their gender identity um, structure in a way to identify um, gender non-conforming folks too. So things are changing maybe not at the pace that we wanted to, and especially with the um, stoking of, of fear from this administration. Um, we've, 
we've been walked back in some respects, and in some respects we are advancing. I came out in the 90s where we had, there was no, there was no medical care unless you were a white trans person um, that came from wealth, you weren't, you know, able to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for hormones and gender reassignment surgeries or, or affirmation surgeries. So we would participate in underground surgeries like you know, go over to TJ and they have silicone where they pump it in your hips or silicone where they pump it in your cheeks. Um, and that's how we would get our care. Um, those were really the dark ages because a lot of trans people were like getting sex changes and it would be like a really botched job and it's still happening, actually. There's still a lot of trans people who don't have access to care, who still get their hormones that way, who still go over to TJ to get surgeries um, because their um, coverage isn't covering what they need at the moment. And um, you know what a good a statistic that I just read was, you know, 40% of trans people um, have had suicide ideation at one time. Um, when they don't get gender-affirming surgery, um, it jumps up to 60%. Now that is wild, and, um, and it should make everyone angry, and it should make everyone want trans people to get the care that they need. And so yeah, well, it shouldn't be about wealth, but it is. And now that I'm in a position where I have a job that covers my healthcare and all these things, and my health, my trans health has improved. You know, I have access to a therapist. I have access to um, hormones. I have access to other medications. There are trans folks that don't have access, even in the state of California, to these things. Um, or it's very minimal, it's not quality care. And um, one, of, one of the things I'm fighting for throughout the state is for all trans people to have quality care. Um, that shouldn't be like some revolutionary thing. Um, that is just like common sense and it should be a basic human to human thing. I, I think it, it is a basic human necessity. So I think people yeah. should have the access for that. How did you become an activist for trans rights? Okay, now we talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and I grew up in the hood, you know, in Watts. So 113th and Wilmington. At one point, we moved around a lot all over South Central, but, you know, I lived in Watts. I went to Markham Junior High, and I was a feminine child, and I dressed in my mom's clothing, and uh, so I was teased. My, my parents, I'm first-generation American. My parents are from Jamaica, and so I had all these, uh, you know, I, I, I looked um, like someone that, uh, African-American that was a descendant of Africans in America, but I was a descendant of Africans from Jamaica, which comes with a whole different culture. So 
um, when I got to school was a different culture, you know, and also I felt different within. I went to, to high school, junior high, feeling out of place, out of body, and just in all, every capacity you can think of. I would say I was a born activist. Um, I, I had to advocate for myself from birth. I had to fight from birth. I didn't really have um, the traditional, like growing up with a mom and dad in the house and having, even having a single mom that was attentive. You know, my mom was all over the place, almost stereotypical hustler that you see in the hood, you know, she was a hustler and hustling and not really focused on her kids. And so we were left to our own vices and kind of had to raise ourselves. And um, so I was born fighting and I think my Jamaican element, you hear it in our music, you hear it in our culture, you know, we're always talking about love and this and love and that. And so I think that my compassion for other folks as well and having experienced rejection and having experienced a lot of bad stuff throughout my childhood uh, made me have an overwhelming compassion for other folks' journey as well. And so not only was I fighting for myself, I was fighting for others, sometimes even more than myself, you know, um, as a child. As I grew, it, it, it has evolved as I have grown internally. My activism has evolved. At first, it was mostly about anger, and it's, it's still about anger. I mean, how can you not look at all this, all the woes in this world and all, the hot messness of this world and not be angry about it? But also, there's an internal process of activism that I'm starting to involve it into, and I'm not, I'm not talking about like in a hippy-dippy way, but, you know, sometimes I am hippy-dippy, and that's okay. Um, I'm talking about um, kind of countering this divisiveness that we're starting to see, not only from the president, but um, it's a culture right now, and I'm resisting that even by trying to bring people together, and that's another form of activism is, you know, we don't, we shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be fighting that person over there um, with the comb over and the orange tan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, what types of discrimination do you see in your work and also personally? Um, well, in activism, I, I got arrested. It was, it was well advertised last two years ago for, um, at a Stefan Clark march, um, and I was put in the men's jail, and it was it was news that got caught up in the national news cycle, and um, so it was it was news. Um, and I I go hard for black men. I go hard for cis black men. I go hard for cis black women. Um, but what is hard is being a black trans person and sitting between those intersections and seeing how black folks love for me is conditional and um, sometimes there's no love at all and sometimes I am dehumanized with the same people that I'm, I'm marching for and the same 
people that I am advocating for, sometimes I can't even, you know, sit next to them or, you know, I'm, I'm teased or made fun of or rejected by the same people I fight for. So uh, it's not my, my nine to five work, but in my activist work, there is this uh, contradiction that I notice in act activism that, you know, they're out there marching for George Floyd. And, but what about Tony McDade, the black trans man that was murdered? What about all the, these killings of black trans women all over the nation? You don't really hear a lot of cis people, cis black people, I'm sorry, um, you know, uplifting our, our voices. So how do you think trans representation in pop culture affects discrimination against trans folks? How do I, okay, so when I was coming up, we had Tootsie, Tootsie, we had Tootsie and with Dustin Hoffman, Miss um, Doubtfire, um, Bosom Buddies, and kind of just caricature of um, men dressing as women and that being tied to being um, a trans person. And it was always like he's dressing up because he's in love with this woman and, you know, it's trying to get his wife back or he's trying you know get close to a woman that he desires or you know um to wong fu where they're like over the top drag queens and that being tied to being you know trans um fast forward to like 20 some plus years later to now where we have pose um we have janet mock we have laverne cox um we have so many we have a diverse of, of diversity of trans representation in media right now. Um, not where it should be. We have Ashley Preston too, a political analyst. She analyzes um, politics. Uh, now, you know, we are being more socially accepted now because I, I believe that um, our stories are being told authentically. Um, Orange is the new black to me in my own mindset, uh, was a catalyst to uh, a trans person playing a trans person. It wasn't some cis white woman playing a trans character, um, which we have seen quite a bit in the past. It was a black trans woman playing a black trans woman. Um, now the role, you know, is questionable. She was in jail because she did something wrong and all those things, and we could even dice that up, um, but you know, it, it definitely was a catalyst to something and um, an actual black trans woman on our TV screens um, playing a, a diverse role um, with so many sensitive topics. And so um, I believe now we still have a lot to work on in the media because I like to see like a trans person on ESPN, you know, talking about football, you know, and uh, I like to see trans bodies referred to as being just the sexiest cis bodies. And while we are getting a lot of exposure right now, it, we're still seen as a taboo um, by a lot of folks. And so um, media, positive media, uh, telling our real stories. Uh, Pose has did a great service to trans folks because 
They're actually telling the un, un, unadulterated truth about our experience. And it's not a caricature. It's not something souped up for TV. It's actually our stories. Some of us say they're telling too much. They're revealing too much of our story, <laughs> you know? Um, so we're, sometimes we're like, stop, uh-uh. You can't tell it all. Don't tell it all. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, those stories, I think, have brought society over to, you know, um, welcome us a little bit more. And that's why you're seeing trans folks starting to hold jobs in diverse ways, you know. Um, At one time, we were only known as street workers. And when you thought of the word trans or heard of the word trans, it was synonymous with, you know, someone who was... uh, doing some sex work on the street. As a Black trans woman yourself, what additional or different hardships do you experience? Um, I don't know about hardship. Uh, I, I've experienced some hardship, yes, but I've also experienced some tremendous resilience. And um, I, Black, there should be a, a course t- taught on um, black trans resilience. Um, some of us have been through the most scary, hardcore, horrible situations that you could ever think of, and we have risen. Um, I like to use the analogy that, you know, um, we're swimming in the water and the shark bites us and tries to tuck us on, under. And everybody tells that story, but Nobody tells the story of how we beat the hell out of the shark, you know, and rise to um, a better day. Um, What are ways you've coped and helped others in the community? I don't know if you know about ballroom culture, but New York ballroom culture, voguing, you know, um, we put together a ball uh, that was one part like um, Black queer culture. Um, We invited our indigenous Uh, two-spirited friends, and they had a a powwow with two-spirited folk. Um, And then we had a poetry slam with, you know, um, our API family. And so, and we invited a whole bunch of cis-straight folk. And so the ball had everything. It had cis-straight folk. It had um, husband and wives coming and actually walking the ball, you know, and uh, it was it was a wonderful event, and it was bringing together people from all backgrounds, people from all sides, all gender identities, you know, together, and it was a room full of love, really, and that I can I've I can name probably 20 more events that I've done like that. That's probably the key of, of events that I, I, I like to put together events. And um, I also travel, I, I re- most recently Brazil, talking to trans people over there and trying to get them assistance over there. Um, my heart is just to fight for the trans folks at the bottom who don't really have an advocate right now. And that's a lot of us. Uh, we see Pose and we see um, all this exposure of trans folks, but in some regards, the needle still hasn't changed or, or still hasn't moved towards the progress that we need. I fight every day to, to, 
to move the, the needle just a bit more towards progress. And so my whole life is to be in, of service of others. And um, not only trans folks, to anyone down and out, you know, to anyone that is experiencing oppression. I know how it feels to be at the rock bottom. I know how it feels to be rejected. I know how it feels um, to, you know, have no one to rely on. And I know it's impossible for me to be all those things um, to everyone. Um, but if I can just, you know, affect a few folk. And uh, I am pretty proud of myself because I can say I probably have affected just a few um, in the very short time that I've been on this planet. And uh, I am grateful to the universe for using this body as an instrument uh, of love. Um, and sometimes, to be honest, some hecticness and craziness sometimes, you know. I, I definitely give people a laugh sometimes. And, um, you know, I'm also working on myself. And that is a part of, you know, my my helping too. It's helping myself as well. Um, I've, I'm helping myself to grow. Knowing that Ebony, who has advocated for the passage of transgender equality bills with the state legislature, values California as protective of her rights and the rights of those she works with, Jen decided to interview Assemblymember Rebecca bauer Cahan about Transgender Awareness Week and advocacy for transgender rights. Bauer Cahan's strong support of the LGBTQ caucus legislation has earned her respect as a strong LGBTQ plus ally. What led you to become an LGBTQ plus ally? So that's a great question. I was raised in the Bay Area and so, um, you know, just raised around a very accepting community. Uh, but I think that what made me become sort of a strong ally who has spent my career fighting for LGBTQ plus rights was when my sister came out to me. My sister came out to me when she was in college. She's five years older than me, so I was still um, at home. And it wasn't that she was um, gay that shook me. It was that she had kept it for me for what I think was years. Um, she had a girlfriend who she was very enamored with at the time, and it had been a secret for me. And that, for my sister, who I have always been incredibly close with, was devastating. And it really made me internalize the shame and that she must have felt about her own path that was so real and upsetting and experiencing that with her. And I remember her telling me, and, and the first question I asked was, you know, how long have you known? And she answered the question about when she came out to other people, which was years before. And, and I said, what took you so long? And that was the only thing I wanted to know um, and why she didn't tell me sooner. And as a result of that, I just started opening my eyes to what, you know, LGBTQ plus people were experiencing in the community around me. And this was in the probably late 80s, early 90s. So things have changed a lot since then for the better. But uh, it just became part of the fight that I've been a part of. And when I was a lawyer, I worked on the Prop A cases. Um, and I remember her calling me and her saying, this isn't about me, Rebecca. This is about the fight for equity. And at that point, that's what it had become. I mean, obviously, I wanted equal rights for her as well. But it allowed me to see in a greater way what the LGBTQ plus community was experiencing in America and that we needed to be at the front of that fight to get equality. 
it's such a great perspective to have the both the personal and the professional uh, experience in that. And so having that, what do you think the role of an ally should be in supporting LGBT plus folks, individuals, groups, and given the topic of this episode, so especially transgender rights? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's about listening and about trying to to understand, you know, what people in the LGBTQ plus community are experiencing. And it isn't a lived experience I have as an ally, right? And so the more that I can understand that experience, the better. And then it's to take action, but not necessarily at the front of that, right? I mean, I, I am here to support in every possible way, but it's not my story and it's not my experience. And that's a really important thing for me to hold on to as an ally. And so when it is helpful, I am there 110%, but I also will take a backseat when that's the right role to take as well. So I think it's about sort of seeing what's appropriate in the moment, whatever the fight may be, um, and then stepping up and stepping up in a way that is helpful. And I think at times, sometimes an ally is really important. Sometimes, you know, in our own lived experience, we know it's harder to speak up for ourselves in certain moments, right? And when that's what's happening, it's, an, you know, sometimes it helps for an ally to step out. Um, but it's also allowing the space for those who are experiencing it to speak first, if, they, if they're ready. And how do you think transgender rights work compares to that of other types of human rights? And I ask you this partly because I know that you know, you just said that you worked on some of the prep eight issues, but I know you've also worked on a lot of other human rights work as a lawyer, as an attorney. Yeah, I have. And I think human rights are human rights, right? We're all human. Um, no matter the color of your skin, who you love, whether you're trans plus, right? We're all human and we all deserve the same human rights, the same equality. And that is the fight, right? And so to your point, you know, I've worked on the criminal justice system and the fight there for people of color. And, you know, I've worked in the LGBTQ plus space on equal rights there. And to me, it's all human rights. And so, you know, I think that is the piece that actually I think is so important. I'm glad you asked because, you know, the trans plus community needs to be brought to the forefront, I think, of the human rights um, fight right now, because I think it's the, you know, Right now, I will say it feels like one of the last waves to come in. Now, I think as, as the future unfolds, there will probably be other groups that we identify that need to be brought into that fold. But right now, I think it's a really important group of individuals who need our allyship and need us to be a part of the fight of getting them equality. And the Constitution, I'm you know, a geeky lawyer who loves the Constitution, and it, you know, it guarantees every single one of us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Every single one of us. And that includes trans plus people and everybody else. I love that perspective. Thank you very much. And what have you worked on since being in the legislature with the LGBTQ caucus to improve the lives of transgender Californians? Yeah, so most of the work I've done has been in my capacity as a member of the Public Safety Committee. I think there's a lot of work to be done in the criminal justice realm for um, trans plus individuals and LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, Senator Weiner is a huge um, advocate for that, so I've been proud to um, you know, help move his legislation forward uh, as it relates to those who are incarcerated, making sure that trans individuals who are in our um, prisons are allowed to be housed in the housing that feels right to them. Right. And that was a really important step forward, I believe, for trans plus people in our criminal justice system. So I was happy to support that piece of legislation. Um, you know, I think there was a piece of legislation this year about um, 
you know, criminalizing certain sex acts and making sure that it was equal for LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, and that was a really hard fight um, because it was misconstrued by a lot of people. Uh, but at the end of the day, again, back to your question about human rights, equality is equality and it needs to be in every space. And sentencing is one of those spaces. If straight people aren't going to be automatically on the registry, then LGBTQ plus people shouldn't automatically be on the registry, right? And that that's equality. And we need to look at every piece of legislation that we have passed in every piece of our law and make sure that it is equal. And if it's not, we need to fix it. And I think I read it. Am I correct that California was the first in the nation to pass the uh, trans plus people being able to uh, be in the prison of their identity? I believe we did pass it. I didn't know we were the first in the nation, though. So that is possible. Yeah, that was um, Scott Wiener's SB 132. And it's a really, um, you know, at the Public Safety Committee, we had testimony by a trans plus individual who had been housed in the prison that didn't feel right to them, that didn't um, jive with their own identity and um, what that experience was like, both from a just a living without dignity perspective, right, but also safety. You know, I mean, one of we should always be top of mind to be the safety of those in our custody. And um, it's not safe for people to be housed in um, prisons that don't match their identity. So what are some of the ways that California protects the rights of transgender and gender nonconforming folks more robustly than other parts of the country? So California, we are, you know, we are proud of leading in many spaces. And I believe that our um, protections of trans plus individuals and the LGBTQ plus community is and nonconforming individuals. We are we're doing a lot. I want to start by saying we could always be doing more and we need to be looking at the ways in which we can do more and pushing forward and leading and showing the nation what it means to truly provide equality for trans plus individuals. Um, but if you look at our law, I mean, we in housing, we prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity employment. We, um, you know, don't allow discrimination based on gender identity. Uh, we've really pushed forward in marriage equality, although as I said, as someone who worked on the Prop 8 cases, we obviously have a history there, right, of not always protecting um, equality in California. And we need to be aware of that, that that is part of our history and we have to acknowledge it and move forward knowing we are going to be better in providing equality. Um, we have really strong hate crime laws, which which also address the trans plus community, which is super, super important. Um, public accommodations, you know, we, um, we prohibit discrimination there based on gender identity. We have strong anti-bullying laws, which is also really critical when you look at the suicide rates of our young people who are trans plus and gender non-conforming. We have to be doing everything we can to protect our youth and ensure that they are safe from bullying and that they are that they know that things will get better and that they deserve to thrive and to be a part of our community and that um, suicide is not the answer. And I think that's always really critical. On healthcare, We've passed some some good laws, a ban on insurance exclusion, but I, that's an area where I think we have a lot more work to be done, right? One in six um, hospital beds in the state of California are Catholic hospitals where trans plus individuals are not getting the care they deserve, right? And we know that. And, you know, we've had uh, in the past year, there have been discussions about the UC joining up with our Catholic hospitals, our own University of California system, you know, providing care through hospitals that will not provide um, care for those trans plus individuals who end up in the system. And so we have to be paying attention to that and doing more in that space. So we've done a lot, but we have a lot more work to do. 
so how can individuals and groups who really care about this issue, um, you know, they're not really ready to run for the office themselves, uh, you know, they have a job they already love, but how can they maybe on the side get involved in legislative issues to progress transgender rights? Well, I'm not going to let you off that easily. We don't have any <laughs> trans individuals in the California state legislature. So as much as we believe we're ahead, we're behind a lot of states where they do have individuals who are trans representing the trans community in their legislature. So I'm going to say, think about running for office. Um, but there is always work to be done. Um, you know, we talked about um, Senator Weiner's bill this year that we had a really hard time passing. Advocacy is really, really critical, even if you're not um, an elected official, but our community's voice matters. And so getting involved, following organizations um, on social media or signing up for their email list so you know ways that you can be involved is really critical because those will provide updates for what's going on in the community that you can get involved in to communicate with your legislator you know, things that matter to you. And we need people all across the state of California doing that because you never know which legislator is going to need a push from their constituents. So, you know, follow organizations like Equality California, Trans-Latina Coalition. Um, as, you know, a former San Francisco lawyer, I love the National Center for Lesbian Rights, um, HRC. Uh, and of course, the California LGBTQ caucus is always letting the community know about what's moving in the California state legislature. So following them on social media will help you know what's going on. Um, but get engaged. You know, these issues are really important. And in order to move them forward, we need both members of the community engaging and also allies like me, you know, lifting up um, the voices of our community so that people know this is an area we need to be working on and we need to be moving forward with. And what are other ways people can get involved? Maybe a policy approach isn't for them. Maybe they just want to have some, you know, multiple ways to get involved. Yeah, I mean, I think watching, it's funny, I don't feel that old, but having watched the entire gay marriage movement move through history, basically, right? Um, having been born in the late 70s, when it wasn't even on the table, to watching marriage equality sweep the country. The thing I learned most from that was that what changed the dynamic was people telling their own stories, people getting to know their neighbors and getting to know that these were just neighbors who loved one another, who wanted marriage in the same way as people who were not of the same gender, right? And so that changed the dynamic when it was someone you knew, someone you cared about, someone you respected. Um, and, and that was really brave. I want to put it out there. That was a really brave thing for the LGBTQ plus community to do. But it changed the conversation across this entire country faster than I think any of us believed was possible. And so as, what I learned from that is that it's our job to listen to those stories and then to also make sure people know those stories, that people understand who the trans plus community is, that there are neighbors, there are friends, there are coworkers, they're just our community. And, and so their rights matter as much as everybody else. And so, you know, be an ally, be a listener, be an advocate. And um, that can be in your own daily conversations. It doesn't have to be in some grand platform, right? And that's really critical. And, you know, then when people need assistance finding community organizations or support, be there. I mean, again, you know, the suicide rates for trans plus um, and gender nonconforming folks is so astonishing that we need to be there to provide support when somebody is down because that's the last thing we want. Um, we want to help people understand that this is a community that accepts everybody, including our trans plus individuals, and that we're here to support them and get them to a place where equality is, is their reality.
This can be the Transgender Awareness Week we use to decide we're going to start to listen to the stories of this community. Maybe that means getting involved in legislative advocacy, or maybe it just means respectfully asking someone what their pronouns are. Whatever we do, we cannot do nothing while this segment of the LGBTQ plus community, long known to have fought for the rights of all LGBTQ plus individuals, continues to be targeted and discriminated against. Once and for all, we have to stand and say that trans rights are human rights. I'm Jen Hardy. I'm Talitha Demessa. And, and we're, we're with LaQuest. The LaQuest podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. When you think of California and politics, remember to look west. <laughs>